Hello and welcome to another episode of the VR Download, a weekly show recorded live in the Upload Virtual Studios where we bring you the latest news, reviews, comments, and interviews from the VR industry. My name is Kyle, Operations Manager at Upload VR. Now let's meet the rest of today's panel. Starting over here, Ian, introduce Hi. yourself. Hi, Ian Hamilton, Managing Editor of UploadVR.com. And Jamie? Hello, I'm Jamie, and today I don't have foggy lenses because I turn the central heating on in my house, which means my headset's not too cold. <laughs> excellent, excellent. And over here on my left, we have Megan. Go ahead and introduce yourself, Megan. Hi, I'm Megan Lee from Virtual Science Center. Hello. Great. And I'm David. This is David right here, David Jagno from Upload VR. I'm senior editor. Like Jamie, he didn't say his title, but he is also a senior editor. I'm just warm headset user today. Okay. <laughs> Excellent. All right. So we've got a lot of stuff to talk about. Let's go ahead and get right into the news discussion for the day. So the first thing we're going to talk about is, hey, it's the holiday season and everybody's going out and running to try to get their best VR headsets. But... The Rift S and the Quest seem to have sold out on Amazon and Best Buy USA, and the index is backordered until beyond Christmas. Uh, Ian, help us out here. What is going on? Well, it, it's uh, it's we we've been recommending various Oculus Link cables, and you know they go out really quick. And these devices, are, the, the biggest thing I got to point out is uh, Oculus Go was down to one hundred and twenty dollars on Cyber Monday, which is the lowest price that headset has ever been. When it debuted in 2018, it was $200 for the longer period of Black Friday to Cyber Monday, so like five days. Uh, it was $150. That's, of course, a three-off headset if you're not familiar with it, so you can't lean around in it. And uh, But it's obviously very good for uh, media viewing experiences where you can watch a movie in VR for an extended period or lay down in bed and watch a movie on your ceiling. Uh, without disturbing anyone else in the room and have a private viewing experience. And uh, then the, the other end of the spectrum, is, of course, is the Valve Index. And we, we talk about this all the time, but Valve Index is a $1,000 machine uh, when you buy the whole package, and then you've got to hook it up to a beefy, expensive PC in order to really get the best out of the Index headset. So uh, it's that the, there's a gap there in price that's just astronomical for most people. Like you have to decide between $1,000 and $120 VR experience this holiday season. And so we're seeing a lot of people, a lot of comments across all possible platforms where people are confused about the state of all of these things and whether I should buy this headset or this headset. And it's, it's very difficult. And I, I feel really bad for a fair number of the Oculus Go buyers out there because I, I'm just not convinced that most of the people who buy that amazing deal are are really aware of its specific limitations. Like it's, it's a great headset if you really know what you're buying before you get it. On the other end of the spectrum, there's the index that is absolutely the most comfortable experience for me. I can go in there for an hour plus and take the headset off and not feel any discomfort in my eyes or my head at all. And 
it's, you know, Index is only available through the Steam store. So you can't really go to a store and get the hands-on experience with Index for a half hour to really get that feel for how, what kind of a difference it, it'll have on your eyes and your head compared to, say, a Rift S or a Quest. Uh, and they're all obviously getting purchased in great numbers. And well, also just to be clear, though, the Oculus Go was only one hundred twenty dollars for like three hours. It was a lightning yeah. deal. Yeah, yeah and it went true. back up to two hundred already. So it was it was one hundred and fifty over Black Friday, though, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's reduced. But more specifically, the like for example, I just went on Amazon and uh, I believe the Quest said that it'll be back in stock soon, and the Rift S might be back by December 6th or something like that. So it looks like there are, uh, they're scrambling. And I don't know if anybody remembers, but at Oculus Connect this, this year, they actually said they're selling the quests as fast as they can build them. Mm-hmm. Uh, does anybody have a hot take on that? That's, that's the classic line you say when, you know, you're trying to show uh, that your product is, doing well without actually telling us how well it's doing. Yeah. And we all want the numbers. We all want to know how big the install base is for VR headsets because that's that's the number that developers need to know in order to know sort of how many people they need to get into their headset to hire that many people and get them to build that that product that everyone dreams of. And it's, it's kind of like that classic Nintendo strategy of manufacturing the shortage yourself by just not making enough. You know, like it makes it seem like it's super high in demand if you're just not meeting the demand that exists, even if it's not as high as what you projected. And so I, I don't I don't know if that's the case here, um, but I kind of feel like it might be. I don't think the Quest is, you know, selling millions of units yet. And I, so I think it, you know, they're just not making as many as they would be if it was selling even faster. Mm. I think they would ramp yeah. up production if it was really selling fast. They had to have known that it was going to be popular for this yeah. Christmas. They had to. I mean, yeah. it, the reviews have been amazing. Um, when people ask me, you know, how do you get a headset under $500? That's the answer. So I, I really, yeah. I'm surprised that they didn't ramp up production if, if that's the case. It's, we, we've talked about a lot of things that they could do in 20, uh, 2020 to really improve the quest. It was, is that one of our other topics is to talk about the, um, the fact that we think that the Oculus link cable should be included with quest so that people can yeah, really, so that's actually our next news point. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry. But uh, well, yeah, no, if I, you I, want to, you can just weave that right in. Blend like, in. Well, yeah. Well, so like we, we, it really, the, the, the argument Heaney made our, our studio manager out there was that uh, it will, inc- it will decrease development time in order to hook up, uh, an Oculus Link. We actually saw this video, this incredible video that someone put out there where they hooked up their Quest over Oculus Link to a PC and tried to recreate a basic prototype of Pistol Whip in 30 minutes. So they walked through in 30 minutes uh, every step, figuring out the equations to figure out uh, how to make the bullets um, move at the right speed and you need to move forward. And there's like a seven-minute video showing uh how to build this basic prototype but the 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 takeaway there is that before oculus link you would have to uh build a prototype on your machine and then send it over 
to the quest mm-hmm. and then run it on the quest. And that's a whole process that takes many minutes each time you need to do it. And by doing Oculus Link, you can decrease that development time and rapidly iterate and change your app over and over and over again without having to do that whole build process. And that's it's almost a no-brainer if you think that you sell millions of quests and so many people are going to try to become developers. Uh, it would make sense to sort of make that on-ramp to turning them into developers that much quicker and easier. You know, you, you make an interesting point there, Ian, that people who are going to buy VR headsets are going to become developers. Now, I three years ago, even maybe even two years ago, I would have absolutely agreed with that. But right now, I'm wondering if the audience for these VR headsets are just consumers. Uh, have we gotten to the point where it's they? you don't expect everybody who buys a headset to become or want to have the desire to be a developer. I wonder well, it's, it's interesting. Um, there's, there's the various creation platforms in VR. Sculptor VR is one of them uh, where you can get in there and just manipulate and make things in the air right in front of you. And then, uh, of course, Facebook is building Horizon, which is their new social network. And they're being very explicit that in Horizon, you can build virtual worlds with the headset on using... Uh, whatever manipulation tools they build, but some kind of visual scripting system where you can build interactions and build objects that interact and some kind of logic to the world. And then there's, of course, Unity, which is a whole other layer where you need to understand programming and how to use words to create world logic and, and, and all that thing, all that. That's another level of depth and complexity you can build into a virtual world. But it seems like Horizon in particular is going to be geared towards the consumers and allowing them to build virtual worlds with zero knowledge beforehand. It's Just, kind of interesting because I feel like it it's sort of like this middle ground that kind of blurs the line where you had, you know, in, in years past, you would have games that have like level creators or level builders or like, you know, people can make a level and upload it and share it like Little Big Planet. You know, there were thousands of people that made levels and you have a lot of games that have that sort of function like Super Mario Maker. Um, But it's not about becoming a developer and monetizing your creation. It's just about adding to the game you already love. And so now a lot of VR stuff, like you're saying, like Horizon and, um, you know, like VR Chat and then Second Life before it are about creating stuff for the game that you also potentially could monetize. So it's almost like bridging that gap between a player and a developer. Mm. Well, and so, you wouldn't call, um, you know, the use of something like Minecraft, where you're creating a world, right, and other people can share in that world. You wouldn't call yeah. them just consumers in that case, right? They're creators. Yeah. There's some hybrid in there, mm-hmm. and that's certainly. Um, I have seen even Unity has a development tool that's like that, where you can create um, a virtual reality world with some of their tools. So, oh, you can edit it while inside the headset, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, what's yeah. that called? The Carte Blanche or something like that? Carte Blanche, uh, yeah. Yeah. That's really that's interesting. Not out yet, right? They're, that's still on the horizon, I think. That's, I, that's, <laughs> so, well, they have edited VR. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's an so, alpha, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They, and then they have edited VR, which is the kind of more in depth uh, version of it, right? But Carte Blanche is meant to be like the kind of little big planet kind of version of you have a set amount of assets, and if you want, you can just kind of copy and paste and make it I, VR we experience. Have, 
we haven't seen anything that's like, uh, I think the idea with carte blanche is you could say uh, something like just, just actually say, I'd like 10 trees in front of me. And mm. maybe I, I, I haven't seen that yet. I haven't tested it, but I know that's on, that's that they're building it. They're trying to, to get there. I've tested it. It's super Ooh. fun. <laughs> oh, okay. But, um, so in the case that I was using, there were these cards that you could pick and you could um, yeah. create worlds and then add them to your world and then, you know, get yourself in there. And that was, it was a pretty incredible tool. Um, that's amazing. Yeah. That's cool. But I mean, uh, get, getting back to the topic of like uh, these headsets selling out, I mean, the question is how much did Half-Life Alex play a role in that, right? How many people in the past two weeks have said, okay, well, it's time to get a VR headset and, you know, gone through our various stories about what the best channel to go and do that is, or either just gone straight out and got an index if, you know, you're particularly cash rich. Um, is that is that a factor here or, or are we all jumping the gun saying, saying, oh, all these headsets are sold out because Half-Life Alex was just announced? I don't know, because you still see a lot of skepticism online. So uh, bring it all together, the, there are tools that you're going to be able to use with Half-Life Alex oh, true, to add true. content to the game. And that's one of the amazing questions that we would love to get answered is, could Half-Life Alex be one of the first games that gets modified for a non-VR version, get going the reverse of mm, the last yeah. few years where people have modified uh, flat screen games to have VR add-ons. Could people use these tools to then make a version of the game that you could play without a VR headset because the demand is so high there? Mm. So you're talking about basically reverse Vorpix. Yep. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Yeah, be be much. okay with using that name, by the way. If somebody wants to say reverse, <laughs> it, it would be called Revorpix. The Revorpix. The, the, the argument to be I made like there, right? I like it. So, argument, very specifically, um, Ian, I'm, I'm curious about the um, you know, the actual Oculus Link cable. Does should that have been in the box? I mean, let, let's be realistic here. We've gotten. How many people have come to our site and have seen which cables to buy? Should they have just given it to us and not told us that that? Because it comes with a decent length cable for charging. Why not just make that be a link cable and just I, not I would, tell anybody until they announce it? I, I'd argue uh, not if it changes the price, right? $400 is they've, they've made very tough choices to get to that $400 price. And I'm sure they're taking a loss on that hardware. I've heard estimates that, they're taking at least a loss of $100 per headset. And that seems reasonable given that if you go out there and find the Vive Focus Plus, that's an $800 or $700 device. Uh, so it's like two times a quest to get a, uh, a, a product that we don't know if it has the same level of tracking quality and uh, all those things that Facebook has giant research teams to develop and improve. Uh that, that to make that experience so great on Quest, but like, if that thing is four fifty, you're just shaving off that much of the market opportunity. Hi, Tatiana. Ah, Hi, I'm Tatiana. alive. Oh, there you are. You challenge I'm just right. Yeah. <laughs> Ready, player one, two, three, four, six. All right, there we go. Uh, hey, Tatiana, since you're here, uh, why don't you check and 
see if there's any comments uh, that maybe people are talking about Link or something being sold out. Uh, the only thing that I see is James asked why they don't include earbuds in the case, too. Mm. So I, I think that was sarcasm. So well, I'm testing the, the official Oculus uh, headphones, the little earbuds, and uh, that's four nine forty nine dollars I think they're charging, $50 for those earbuds. What? Yeah, wow. it's, it's super expensive. But it's cool because uh, they come in two separate pieces that plug into each side of the Quest. And so they hang down and dangle here and you just oh, plug okay. them into each side of the head. And it's, uh, so they're, they're really ready made for quest and they can block out the world a little bit. And then you can hear all these ambient sounds that you didn't even know were there it, in a quest. It just seems so weird to me to charge a premium price for a device. that can only be used with your one other device. Like yeah. no one else has a two earphone jack device. You know, where else can I use those? <laughs> that seems true. so weird. Well, they, 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 if they're taking a loss on the hardware on the on the system itself, maybe they can make it back with some of the accessories. <laughs> Does anybody remember the heads, the headphones, the earbuds that came out for the Oculus Rift CV one, and they gave yeah. them to everybody they gave them at away. Connect? Yeah, yeah. Was I just that found CV that one? pair. It's in my closet, I, collecting dust. I have no idea. Was it was it not for like Gear VR or something? I do remember that. I would just no, that was CV one. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. you could okay. undo the the ear the headphones that are built in, and then they just plug in. It's the same little plug. Yeah, wow. Mm. Too long ago. A couple times. Mm-mm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Don't know, uh, Megan. I'm curious. Uh, with all the demos and stuff that you show off, uh, what is your setup? Do you use headphones? Do you use earbuds? Do you just use what's attached to the headset? I'm curious. Right. So um, we're developing a museum exhibit about virtual and augmented reality, and we're using Rift S's. And I'm so happy that the new Rift S has, you know, integrated sound because we really it's really hard to use those little snap on. They would have just snapped off headphones that was on the old Rift. Yeah. Um, Yeah. We're also, you know, we're using the Rift S because in public spaces you can't you couldn't possibly keep the Quest charged. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, it's a valid point. That's the equipment point. we're using. Yeah, that makes sense. I think uh, for for like a consumer at home, a lot of people aren't happy with the Rift S audio because it's you know not not loud enough, not high enough quality. But for a setting like that, where <laughs> yeah. you're getting a lot of people in and out quickly, it makes it makes sense. You don't want to have to have a fragile dangling bit right. or have you know headphones you have to take on and off someone's head and yeah yeah. Tatiana, are there any other comments? Yeah, rendered uh, reality so that, that they wish that Oculus would make an official deluxe audio strap for the Quest, and I totally mm. agree. I know oh, we talked that about so that last cool. week a lot, but I wholeheartedly agree. <laughs> yeah, because some of us are just a little apprehensive about doing the Franken Quest. Yeah, yeah. I don't trust myself. myself. So I actually just, uh, this week, I just put like a new thing on the back of my Quest. It's just a set of uh, weights. <laughs> that um, are attached to some Velcro and just go around the bottom of the strap on the back. And that's like, it's not FrankenQuest. It's literally just putting some Velcro around the back of my Quest and it's done wonders for me. Um, I might write so an article helps. about it. Yeah, yeah, it helps, it helps massively. I might write an article about it soon. I don't know. It's from, it's from Singapore, so I'm not sure how easy it is to recommend people uh, because I had to pay some customs charges to get them in. But. <laughs> Um, it was just a really simple fix. I mean, I think it goes to show that you can make some really cool, simple fixes for Quest. 
Because I know they're coming out with a battery pack that's obviously going to push down and give some weight. I mean, I've got battery chargers laying all over the house that are of of significant size and and heft. I could just put one of those on the back, attach a cable. I don't recommend that. That's what I was thinking. Just like a car battery on the back of the head, you know, and then you've got it. You've got power for weeks. I thought Harry tried that and it didn't work. (laughs) Hmm. Or like, even, even if it did, I don't recommend like plugging in an external battery charger and pushing it I, I to the it back of your head. I think it didn't work from like a weight standpoint; like it fell off or something. But I remember hearing Isn't there like an official something. one coming out from some company that's doing not it? a fit. Well, a rebuff well, reality I mean, has a company one. is making. One yeah, this is on the site. We covered this purpose. this week. Yeah, a lot, lot of interest in it. Like it's quite, and it is quite, you know, useful. Like a battery that doubles as like a weight to weigh it back at the. At the end, there's a lot of cool stuff you can do with Quest at the end of the day. But if it's sized so, right, I think is the, this, the thing. This here, reminds right? me, mm-hmm. um, didn't wasn't there a guy that we that we actually talked to on uh, Twitter that had his scalp burned from the Vive oh, wireless adapters battery? Oh, we no. did hear that. From Remember someone? that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. yeah, he had a burn on his bald head because of the <laughs> wireless adapter. Oh, sorry, we shouldn't say yikes. Sorry. Yeah. Okay, so I'm rethinking this whole putting a battery on the back of my Quest thing. Now. Yeah, Thank don't do it. Guys. Don't do it. Uh, <laughs> let's wear, move wear on a hoodie. Next... Wear a hoodie. You'll be fine. <laughs> put then the put a Samsung Galaxy Note 7 on the back of your head. See how that goes. Oh, <laughs> oh Jamie. Oh. Too soon. Only if I Too do it on soon. an airplane, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I did have to bring up that they they sent out a person at dawn. I have to tell the story again, right? They sent a person at like six in the morning to come take that thing away from me because it was such a hazard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I remember the first yeah. time you told me that story. The I Samsung black coats arrived. <laughs> Good <Anyway>. stuff. <laughs> Let's move on to the next piece of news here. Uh, the H- HTC uh, has released a wireless PC VR streaming beta for the Vive Focus Plus. Now, who here has actually used a Vive Focus Plus? I have. I've used it. Okay. Well, you yeah, get to Dave talk about this first, then. Uh, so, Vive Focus Plus is a very strange headset. Uh, in China, we know it was released as a consumer-level uh, VR headset. It has a bunch of games. It has a bunch of uh, you know experiences, that sort of thing. And then over here... I mean, it's, it's really hard to get the timeline down for this because it's so confusing. Um, over here, they released the Vive Focus uh, as an enterprise-level headset. And then for it was out for three months, and then they released the Vive Focus Plus. Now, the difference between the two is you have, uh, you, have, you, know, you have these things. You have movable hand controllers in the Vive Focus Plus, right? Um, but it was always released over here as an enterprise-level headset. So when HTC announced this news this week that you could now stream games, PC VR content and play games from Viveport and uh, we've confirmed Steam VR 2 on a Vive Focus Plus, it's like, great, but who has a Vive Focus Plus? I don't, I don't know the numbers in China. They might be significantly overwhelming in China. I don't know, so I can't speak for that. But here, and you know, we got the English press release, we got the Western press release, that is a it's it's like okay great but no one's actually got this headset the same way that um we wrote about uh the steam hardware survey results for the month at the start of this week right and the vive cosmos was on there for the first time and it hasn't 
yet made like even the tiny tiny little dent um wasn't the the snippet that heaney tweeted out that there are more dk2s connected to steam than vive cosmoses yeah right now yeah yeah which is just crazy yeah so is the vive cosmos the one where the guy wore it and skied down a mountain Almost. Oh, <laughs> for the no, that's I... the Vive Focus Plus, I think. Yeah, that's um, right. Yeah, yeah, the Vive Focus oh, Plus. Sorry. Wow. Well, that's a that's a story for <laughs> that, another time. That <laughs> video. It, that's all I think about when I think about the Focus Plus, and it just it horrifies me in so many different ways. And it it's also it's also night. the headset. It's also sorry. It's also the headset where someone walked down a uh, a catwalk in a fashion show wearing it. Yeah. So, um, well, but, I mean, if anyway, we're talking about ridiculous things people do in headsets, <laughs> Ian interviewed a guy that flew a plane wearing a go. Yeah, no, um, yeah. that's no. not even so, a, well. A so, positional in, headset, and you can find that on our YouTube channel. We've got the video. If you search, you know, airplane Oculus Go, it should come up. But uh, <laughs> in in that person's defense, what they did was they had their co-pilot sitting right here to who had command of the plane any time that the person in VR needed them to, and. Uh, so the whole time. Yeah, I mean, so but they, they took over control and said they were able to do some training with, you know, everything matched up in the headset with fed with external data, you know, giving them a, a matched up experience, although very scary. I've also I've also driven a go kart around a it. real world track while wearing an Oculus Rift. And, and that was it. and I crashed it. And I'm yeah. so upset because they said they, I got the video back and it stops right before I crash. Did you vomit? I wonder why. I smiled. I laughed. It was hysterical, but it was hysterical only because it was so dangerous to me <laughs> that I, you've got to have so many safety systems in place to pull something like that off. Imagine a little kid running out onto the track without, you know, there being you're blindfolded to the, their their appearance on the track. You've mm, got to yeah. have some some serious safety systems in place for that. Yeah, unless you I put have... trackers on everybody. I was going to say, I would assume that, like, if you switch to something with inside-out tracking, you know, something with pass-through, right? Like, if something foreign went on the track, it could automatically initiate pass-through, so you could see, like, that would be, that would yeah, be what a cool I would feature, try to but do. But I don't think that exists yet, right? Well, yeah, but yeah. I'm just saying that's what I would try to make if, yeah. you know, I could. Um but so getting back to the streaming thing. So what we know about the streaming is it works with Viveport. Uh, HTC has told us it works with Steam VR. And unlike Oculus Link, it is wireless. So you are streaming content from your PC to your headset. Now, obviously, on paper, that sounds fantastic. The problem is that we have not tested that for ourselves. I, um, you know, Carl, you asked me if I've actually used the Vive Focus Plus, I have, and in my experience, the tracking has not been very good. I know David's tried it as well. I don't know what his uh, his experience with it was like. No, I pretty much agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it, it can work. It can work, but it can also go drastically wrong, right? So, I mean, also, wasn't, wasn't there a thing with the Vive Focus for a while where they had an uh, official uh, streaming solution with with the Riftcat service as well, like the the Android app that you could use, and and I think for a while they called that like their official streaming thing, so and now they have their own thing. We have to talk about the the issue. There is network congestion, right? You can't yep. overcome network congestion in almost if, if you're using your just normal router, which connects to 15 devices in your home. Your kid in the other room turns on Netflix. Suddenly, you're you add five seconds of latency to your experience and want to barf and 
So we've been talking about this where the, the solution that, that Heaney has discussed out there that uh, John Carmack, the consulting CTO at Oculus, has sort of hinted at is a little USB accessory you plug into your PC that manages that Wi-Fi connection exclusively for just managing the wireless link between mm. the headset and the PC. And then because you're then in PC mode, the PC can then relay to the internet and use its internet connection to get you all your games and your multiplayer and all of that. That's kind so of like the, what the TV Cast and Pro Wireless knows, uses uh, Ygig, and you have to put a separate card in, and then there's an antenna, and there's line of sight and all that nonsense. Um, basically the same thing, but a very complicated version of it. Yeah, they need to change that to USB powered to make it easier for everyone to just plug that little little piece into the PC and get going. I'll be curious to see what kind of mojo that Carmack can come up with because, you know, I think the whole point of putting in a separate card is the bus speed and reducing the latency. I don't know if uh, external USB, well, it might be if it's USB-C. I don't know. We'll have to see what kind of magic everybody comes up with. I will say the last thing I need in my house is more USB dongles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. It is chaos. Also, we 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 can't confirm or deny if streaming PC VR from the Vive Focus Plus will burn a spot on your bald head. Just just so you, we just, so, I just want to get that or out. Deny. Yeah, yeah. We, we we don't know yet. Maybe one day we'll be able to tell you, but unfortunately, review units aren't available to us at this time. So, hmm. interesting. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about. PC VR's growth has it stagnated, or, or is, is it done? Is it plateaued? I mean, what's going on? Who, David? Is, is this over? Should we just pack up and go home? What does stagnated actually mean? Yeah, I've sold all my headsets. <laughs> I actually meant to tell you I'm putting in my two weeks today. If it's okay. Yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. So, anyways, I'm gonna. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, no, I think it's um, I th I think uh, to, to Heaney's point, and he wrote an article with that headline that PCVR has started to stagnate a little bit, but it's going to pick up. And um, the reason for that is, um, you know, I think a lot of people are kind of just waiting to see what's next, especially with um the way VR is right now, with um, you know, the PS5 coming out soon, PSVR two. Mm. Um, on the horizon, we have some good stuff out there like Medal of Honor and Half-Life Alex and game and Lone Echo 2, you know, games to get people excited. Um, but for, for right now, like, you know, other than Boneworks, there isn't a whole lot left coming over the next, you know, couple months. So um, it, it makes sense that it's kind of slowed down a little bit on the Steam hardware survey. But, you know, a lot of people that buy a Rift S, they might not even connect it to Steam anyway. You know, they might just use Oculus Home. <coughs> and um, so I think that, you know, kind, can kind of, you know, I'd, change the way the stuff is tracked as well. I doubt if you buy an Oculus Rift, you know that you can get you can only get No Man's Sky and Skyrim through Steam, right? Like, and you don't buy an Oculus Rift and not play those games, surely. There's a lot of people I've seen comment that they don't use Steam with their Rift. To, to be clear, oh, I think okay. the way the numbers work there is, you know, there's X number of people who are buying PCs every month, and so they're buying PCs and coming onto Steam, and and Steam is growing at a certain rate, and the the argument is more or less that uh, in a few months maybe before this just deluge of information about everything that's coming out soon, including Half-Life Alex, uh, 
people stopped buying the VR headsets at the same rate and connecting them to Steam at the same rate that PCs are expanding on Steam. Mm. And so, I mean, there's still a lot of people connecting. There's still significant usage of VR apps on PC. It's just the rate there changed a little bit between the two two expansions. So there's a possibility, a real possibility that folks are buying the headsets but not connecting to Steam or haven't connected to Steam yet. So right now, because the Steam hardware survey is available, we can use that for a measurement of success. But ultimately, and you kind of alluded to this earlier, Ian, uh, you know, Facebook could tell us numbers that change the dynamic of how we read this. I I, I want to see... I want to see the next quarterly earnings report from Facebook. I think it'll be significant uh, to look for that that change of their earnings from whatever category category they apply to VR headsets. And then the next hardware survey, next monthly hardware survey out of Steam, I think is going to see a dramatic change. Yeah, because I actually yeah, thought I of something too. when you when you were talking, Kyle, that a lot of people probably buy VR headsets as gifts that are still in boxes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah yep. like uh, so, uh, James in the chat said that they think, you know, standalone is going to have the higher numbers, but PC VR will still provide the higher fidelity experience and tracking and graphics, which I agree. Um, yeah. But, you know, like I've been saying for months now, like whatever the Quest 2 is, that's going to be what really, I think, pushes everything mainstream. But I mean, yeah, I mean, if the next standalone headset has, you know, way better graphics and, you know, just a higher fidelity experience, like what where can PCVR go from there? So especially the, with something like Link. Right, right. Now now, Megan, this brings up something interesting <clears throat> that you might be able to touch on. Um has enthusiasm for the programs that you're doing uh increased or stagnated? I mean, how how is the enthusiasm for what you're doing? Right. So um I think the thirst for VR is outrageous. I think, um, you know, we we installed Reinventing Reality, which is this science exhibit about how VR and AR work. Um, we installed it really just a week ago. It's been up and every single person who comes in loves VR. So, and for 60% of the visitors, it's their first time in VR mm-hmm. or at least in full body VR. So I think there's... I don't, I don't know. I can't speak to PC versus um, headset, you know, independent headset, mm. but I think there's still a lot of interest in VR. I think, yeah. I think the mainstream, they haven't seen it yet <clears throat> and they haven't had a chance, but yeah. they're just blown away when they get to do it. I mean, in our show, you only, you do small experiences and then you learn how it works. And just even these small experiences where you're immersed for two minutes and you get to sort of see all the world around you. It's it's so delightful. I mean, the most fun thing about creating a museum exhibit about virtual reality is getting to see so many people try their first VR experience. I mean, you guys have seen this, right? It's just so yeah. fun. It's yeah. so fulfilling. Nothing like it. Yeah. What? And so we get to do that hundreds of times a day, right? You just get to see hundreds of people go through it, and it's it's great. <laughs> a, a good question that came uh, from James: Does Steam identify Quest with a link in their numbers? Do we Rift know S, that? I believe. They they look they see it as a Rift S I think. Uh, do we do we get that confirmed or? I, I didn't 
uh, but I think that's how it came up when you like when you connect when you see it oh, in the Steam VR window. That's what the, it looks like in the icons. Oh, interesting. That's really interesting. I wonder if they'll Slight, change. Slightly that. disappointing. Well, I wonder. Sure. I wonder if they change. They'll change that themselves because you have to imagine that there's very little communication going on between Steam and Oculus uh, for that kind of thing. Given a certain, you know, let's say rift for uh, for puns' uh, sake. Uh, <laughs> so. You, so you have to wonder if, like, within the next month or two, they'll actually address that and change that themselves. I think that that would be really interesting if they start putting that on uh, on the hardware survey, for sure. Uh, it definitely seems like it would be in both their best interests to make that data more visible. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, Edible Memes also said uh, they hope the Quest 2 has wireless connectivity or at least some sort of add-on like HTC's wireless module, which I agree. You know, I think the whole... You know, thing with the Quest is that you're wireless, you're not tethered. While having an option like Oculus Inc. is great because then you can access everything in the Oculus library. Mm. You know, going from untethered to tethered, I think, is going to be kind of a turn off for some people. Uh, the thing yep. there that I, that I always think about, though, is they've got to improve battery life so significantly from what sure. you're doing now because your wire, your wireless on your headset will be running constantly where right now it's not always on it's not always connecting you to the internet or whatever so when that wireless goes on it'll be a drain in your battery you know that brings up a really interesting question actually it's two questions number one is when you're using link is it charging the device and number two does it turn off the wi-fi mm, it, i think it does turn off the wi-fi and depending so facebook has used very particular language to say that link will charger quest in some cases so they don't want to promise that it's going to charge your quest given all just of depends the depends on if it had things. its coffee this morning or not yeah okay it's, it's all, it all depends on the cable right or your motherboard i mean there's a lot of things there that can play true true hmm. i thought you were just saying all oh, your mother then i was like whoa what's with the dishes <laughs> anyway sorry <laughs> I think it's on to all right. So what Whoa. is everybody playing uh, this week? Uh, there's been a few things that have come out. I, I will start. I will start here because the climb officially came out on Oculus Quest and I played it and I really enjoyed it. Uh, let's let's start over here. David, what have you played this week? Uh, I've been playing something very secret. That I, no, I, I can tell you. It budget cuts, too. Yeah, we have access to that. Review goes live next week. When when the game releases. Yeah. I think the day before, I want to say. Okay. Game's out December yeah. 12th, though, right? So December, yeah, December 11th 12th. is when. Yeah. I could be wrong. The embargo might be the morning of the 12th. I can't remember. I'll have to check. It's VR. It's um, probably the morning of December 12th. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I haven't had a chance to check out the climb yet, um, but I am looking forward to playing Death Lap. I think that came out today or comes out. Oh, today. yeah. Um, that one's well, a combat racing game, kind of like Twisted Metal-ish, except it's racing still. Like At its core, it's a racing game, but you just have guns and you fight each other while driving. That's the interview that we did at OC6, right? The last one yeah, that we Osby did. Games, yeah. yeah, the same people behind Antra Wars. Yep. Um, they, they've been making games for Rift for a long time. They have, whenever the uh, Gear VR came out, they were releasing a sequel. 
Like, yeah. That's how long they've yeah. been making VR games. So. There, there are three Ancho War games, right? There's one, yeah. two, and then Ancho Wars, Wars Online. Wars 2, and Ancho Wars Online, yeah. M- maybe VR's first trilogy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Apart from no, you could be right. What a positive uh, yeah. to VR. Death Lab. <laughs> yep. So, what can we, Megan, uh, have you played anything? Uh, this week, I mean, I've been playing VR nonstop, getting the exhibit up and running, so, but mostly apps that aren't available yet. Oh, oh jealous! Okay. Cool, secret stuff. Yeah, this is this is the cool table. We play stuff that's not out yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So well, make, you can come. You can come play ours on December fourteenth at Lawrence Hall. But right and, now and they're what, not available. What will people yes. actually see when they go through it? That's my the, question. At the exhibit. Well, I mean, I'm just just so the people know now. Yeah. Well, what what will they see at the exhibit? Sure. Let's talk about it. So the show in um, Reinventing Reality is a large museum traveling exhibit. It's 5,000 square feet. Wow. And the exhibit is has 12 full body VR pods. And in those pods, you can play Beat Saber, Sculptor VR, and uh, Grand Canyon right now. Um, but... The exhibit is really about the science of how VR works. So there's experiences, 15 different hands-on science interactives where you can learn about um, different position tracking elements. You can learn about depth cameras, eye tracking, all the components that help VR work. We talk about perception and stereo vision. Um, yeah. That's awesome. So wow, that sounds absolutely amazing. <laughs> that super really fun. cool. It, yeah, and the world premiere is December 14th. Okay. At Lawrence Hall of Science in Berkeley, California. And then it'll go on tour. So it'll travel to 15 cities over the next five years. What I what so, I would love to see is a video of John Carmack trying it and then talking about it. That that, that just came to mind to something that I would love to see. About trying good. about trying how, how well it explains things and yes. you know, the yeah. Yeah, so we try to talk about VR is great. So it is. He's great. When you, when you say you're running uh, Beat Saber, please tell me you're not running the the video we've seen all seen on Twitter this week of uh, the arcade machine where the wires oh. are linked up to the controllers, so you can only like swipe like in certain directions. <laughs> no. oh, that was the awful thing okay. I've ever seen. Oh. It's not oh. great. They set up an arcade. To be clear, let's explain. Yeah, they they set up an arcade, but they had all the wires that was clearly mismanaged. Like, however, set yeah. up this arcade setup put all the wires in all the wrong places and added wires that people absolutely do not need. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Yes. Huh. Uh, yeah, was, they were just uh, like tethers. They, it was like, it was like your hands were attached to your head. Like this was how you were playing it. It was really bad. It was actually the new, it was actually the new T-Rex DLC for Beat Saber. <laughs> oh, I'd play that. Yeah. Oh, you know what, David, that's going to happen. That's yeah. going to be a thing. Uh, <laughs> What's the dinosaur with like the the fan thing? Do you guys know what I'm talking uh, about? I can see it, but I don't know the name. I don't think it's a oh. tricycle. It's like the one that like the wait, poison and, like, one. The one I that ate Newman and the poison Park. dinosaur. Yeah, and it yeah. Like, kisses, and it's got the like the mm-hmm. like something that comes has around. To know that. What's the poison who knows, dinosaur? Who knows the dinosaur? Yeah, it, the I swear I'm not it's, crazy. Is it like spit guy that spits poison or something? Right? Ha, ha, ha. It's like the dinosaur like, that like spits, spits stuff on his eyes and yeah, it has like a like, it has like a fin. <laughs> Have you not seen Jurassic Park? It's a it's a 
Oh, that's what you mean, right? Okay. <laughs> that's what you meant a real dinosaur. Dil Dipo? What is it? Dilophosaurus. Dilophosaurus? I am the Jurassic Park master. Thank you. <laughs> oh, boy. How do you say okay. it? Uh, very carefully. Dilophosaurus. It's probably wrong. Okay. <laughs> Let, let's go back to VR. Uh, <laughs> Tatiana, have you played any VR this week? No, I've been dying of a sinus infection, which is why uh -huh. I keep coughing. But, <laughs> but, we're, are but, go we're, but we're going today. Yeah, we can we can talk about that. We got the email yeah. a while ago. Tonight we're going to see Twin Peaks VR. So uh, very excited to see uh, how horrified I'm going to be by uh, actually stepping into a world inspired by David Lynch. Yeah, that's going to be scary. Yeah, that sounds. I mean, there's lots of VR inspired by Twin Peaks already, right? But like from the master, that's going to be well terrifying. There was there was an unofficial Twin Peaks VR, and so that's why yeah, I'm that's so what I'm thinking of. I think fascinated to see the sort of the differences there and the approaches between a, official sanctioned by Showtime and the official makers versus mm. you know, is David Lynch going to be there? I don't know. I no, that doubt would be, it, but yeah. be kind of cool. Um, I I have played the first uh, hour of the climb today. Um, I think so. I, I've never actually played the climb on Rift, so I was I was actually very excited to jump in there. Um, I really like it. Kyle, when you played it, did you notice at the start in the tutorial, you know you get to select your, your skin tone and um, your gender. There's, in, in the Quest version, there's like a really weird dent in your finger here. Did you notice that, Kyle? I, I didn't. So, uh, <laughs> interesting, my daughter was the one that set it up. And so she was playing it for quite a bit before I actually jumped in. And so when I jumped in, all that had already been done there's like uh, yeah i think even as you play the game maybe that like your knuckle on this finger has like this massive dent in it i took a picture of it on my quest i'll, I'll share it with you guys in a bit but i found it really really distracting um, i feel like that's such yeah, a vr specific thing to complain <laughs> yeah, about the shape of a knuckle on your hand james said the pinky yeah. is messed up yeah, I, I I think there's a couple of things with the hands but also the hands are giant but i mean they're rock climbers they're going to be giant right um but I, I mean, a, apart from the weirdness, like I think so far from what I've seen, they've done a really fantastic job converting that to the quests. Um, I think it's quite interesting. I don't think uh, UI wise, I don't think it's learned some of the lessons that we've learned since the climb released. I don't think those have been implemented. I've, I've really struggled with the menu in the game so far. But mm. um, as a visual showcase of the quest, I know obviously it's a step down from the rift, but I think it's still really impressive. And we all know that climbing in VR, you know, grabbing something and then hoisting yourself around is a really compelling means of locomotion. So I do find myself every time I try to kind of pull myself up, like that's usually disastrous. Uh, oh I'm god, yeah. That. Yeah, it, Stormland yeah. Storm Storm has jumping. a lot of yeah. that. <laughs> Speaking of Stormland, I'm reminded of that interview um, where Mike Daly talks about how in VR games your hands are the protagonists. Since that's what the, your vision sees, as opposed to a character in third person, and um, you know the climb's a great example. It was one of the first games that was, you know, like you you have your hands and you just you go into the world and you you know you get immersed in it. It was I've, like, uh, you know, I remember demoing that I think before the Rift came out on just an Xbox controller before a Touch, yeah. I was out. Yeah, it, it was released a, with just Touch uh, Xbox. Sorry, go for it. 
no, when, when, when we talk about VR mechanics, like it's always so tricky because some of these mechanics and ideas in VR go back decades and they're mm. just being rediscovered for the first time. But mm. we can't underscore how much of an effect the climbs design had on just yep. spreading that mechanic out across every other game. Yeah, yeah like, the it's climb- like they meticulously did it one knuckle at a time. Yeah. <laughs> the climb is like uh there is there is almost a mini climb in almost every other VR game now, right? Like there is a there, the <laughs> yeah. climb is in Stormland, the climb is in Vader Immortal. It made a huge huge contribution to early VR game design for sure. And uh, and huh? if you haven't played it before, absolutely check it out, I think. Climbing, the killer app. I love it. I love it. Ian, do you have anything that you've played this week? I just downloaded it. Yeah, I I was going to (laughs) say. Other than Pistol Whip? No. I I have a bunch of things installed that I've been meaning to get to, but I haven't had a chance to boot them up yet except for Pistol Whip. Pistol Whip. The thing that I noticed there is just my my score keeps going lower and lower on the top high scores, and it's like a fun measure of just how many more people are playing that week to week because I was able to get like – top 10 first first week on the hardest possible difficulty and now i'm below 100 and that's Slacker. how many people are, are picking up that game just that's how many people are picking up that game or you're just not good enough that's yeah. you're just getting <laughs> worse you. man yeah. Tatiana, uh, what do we have comment wise edible memes actually asked an interesting question and asked if there's a graphics card small enough to fit in a headset well that's i mean you're talking about like, chips yeah, yeah, I'm talking like a de- like they're talking that's about dedicated graphics versus integrated. Well, I mean, that's kind of it. the whole point of mobile is that it, everything's on the SOC, the system on a chip, and, and everything is right there. If you were to have a separate one, it would have to have separate heat. I mean, it's possible, well, but I don't think anybody's working on the, that. The Switch well, runs on an NVIDIA GPU, like a, a specifically mobile-designed GPU. I'm sure Heaney's going to tell me I'm wrong in a second in my ear, but um, <laughs> like it's called the X1, the X1 or something like that. And it, so they do their own offshoot of it, I guess. And also, you know, Nvidia also do reduce the size of their GPUs for laptops as well, which is a whole different ballpark. And there's the Magic Leap approach too, where you put the GPU in the compute pack that you keep in your pocket, and then run the wire up to your glasses. Yep. Yeah. The magic. The magic Magic Leap. You can judge me all you want. Judge me all you want. I actually don't mind the puck. I actually like the puck. I mean, I don't really give a puck myself. Oh, Oh, no. Move on. Nice topic. You killed it. (laughs) (laughs) But I, like, my, you know, I, I have had good experiences with Magic Leap. However, the field of view has been the number one issue. And if that improved, I would be so much more happy. But I never minded the puck. I thought it was, it's lightweight, it's a good size, and it makes sense. Uh, I No. Uh, so that works. I, I, don't, feel like I don't mind it. It means, it means you have to be wearing pants that will hold up. <laughs> no. Yes, no. Ian, it means you No, there's a strap. I'm so sorry. I, I've used it with a strap multiple times. Multiple times in, in demos, I've actually used it with a strap. <laughs> And uh, Ian doesn't wear pants, and that's I mean, a point. You laugh at me all you want, but that but, is a friction point. But I, are you like, guys wearing I've pants had... right now? <laughs> are I'm you? I'm not wearing pants right now. <laughs> I'm not in this. I'm completely. It's, like like a, it's oh. like I've used oh. it where it's like a crossbody purse, and it just it sits, you know, at my hip, and I don't even notice it. I mean, I wear a crossbody 
you know, purse. So it's not like it's any heavier than my purse. Because, you know, all purses are, I'm sure Megan knows, like, in I think that pounds, we're just right? used to having a purse, right? Yeah. Like, men walk around with this tiny little wallet and they don't have, they don't, they're right? like, well, like, if I have the puck, then what am I going to do with my wallet? Yeah. Like, you guys <laughs> just don't understand the concept. You know, I, I, I respect men that use the man purse. I really do. My roommate does. He's a nice little, I've got a, a, nice a, a satchel for my laptop. This is like, this is small. This is like this big. It's really cute. But no, I mean, it's the strap. Puck is no, no. The strap on puck is not a thing. No, Chris. No, no. That's not what I said. There's a strap on the puck. It is not a strap on. Puck. Oh, the strap on puck. Oh, no. So let's uh, let's move on to the magically hot topic of the week. Uh, the hot topic of the week is, and, and I know Ian's going to have a lot to say about this. So we're going to just let's fight jump right Ian. over to him. Right to fight Ian. The Oculus Go. It's three Uh degrees of freedom, folks. It's y'all pitch and roll, and there's no positional tracking. Yet, it is killing right now. Uh, Is Ian taking off his controllers in anger over there? I think he is. It's selling like hotcakes. Oculus Go. Ian, what's your hot take on that? Here's the Oculus Go experience, right? Yeah. Getting excited. Oh, that's so so great. Yeah, VR is wonderful (laughs) like this. No hands, <laughs> no leaning. No, no. So you, you forgot. You, you forgot. Every time someone puts on a go, if they don't understand VR, they also do this. <laughs> yeah, right. The, Every, okay. The, the Everyone photos. does that regardless of the headset. I went to the LA Auto Show and Ford had this setup where it was like four seats and they were using OG riffs, which kind of blew my mind. But everyone was doing this. Are I you? was like. The OG riff doesn't have hand tracking. I was actually screaming and I had to leave. Megan, is but that don't you know do this, that's that the VR the science center handset? That's, that's do people do. try to see their hands and they can't? Um. Yeah, I don't actually know right now. <laughs> I'm trying to think of because, um, you know, in our full body experience, you have hands. So yeah. Yeah, I'm sense. trying to think of which one you so have hands because so. you use the rift desk, so they have controllers in their hands, right? Yeah. So they're in, in that case, we do. Yeah. And there is one experience mm. where you don't, but it's just kind of a look around experience. It's it's sixed off, but you don't have hands in that one, and they don't seem to con, um, complain. But that's you know just one week of data. Mm. That we're not quite ready for that yet. But Ask I, me again I, in six months. <laughs> Chris Richardson said, "Movie watching with a go rules," and like. Yeah, I I have like the counter argument to Ian where I really firmly believe for like older people like who, you know, are in homes or like can't really get out much. It's a really great way for them to see things like I I remember the first thing I did in the go was I'm obsessed with Antarctica. Don't at me. But like I did one of the Antarctica like 360 videos and it was really cool. Like we were on like a kayak going through ice and looking at penguins and stuff. And one of my favorite things to do on the go is um, nature treks VR. I actually one time fell asleep in the headset. Like it's just a, a lightweight headset. I don't need six off for it. I can just relax, like meditate, yeah. whatever. And I think for those things, like, it's really great. Um, James also said that many argue that three off has poisoned the well for VR first impressions. Yeah. Like I, it depends on what you're expecting, I feel. Like, if you're expecting, like, yeah, like, some full-body crazy experience where you're walking around and doing stuff, yeah, three off, obviously, you know, yeah, can't so help my, you My response to that would be bad marketing has poisoned the well, not three off itself. Ian uh, has poisoned the well. 
Well, so, all right. So I think that's the exact point, right? You, most people who aren't in the mindset to buy a VR headset, they're going to interact with a VR headset once every five years. Like that's literally, that's how often they're going to come into contact with one of these devices. And if their last experience, they got sick because they tried to lean around in something that they couldn't lean around in. That's tragic that they're not going to come back. They're going to be gone for another five years and they're never going to cut touch. Where are you getting the five-year number from? My mind. I I just, I disagree. I disagree wholeheartedly. Yeah. I'll fight you. I'll fight I know, you for IRL example, later. like a lot of TV shows will casually throw in a VR headset and have people do that or walk around. Like in um, what was it, Living with Yourself? That new show yeah, on Netflix. The first episode. First episode has a scene where a conference room full of people are wearing Oculus Go's doing this, and then like <laughs> a Modern Family, there's an episode where Phil is in a headset running around, doesn't have cameras on it. There's tons of shows that do that, and then you have commercials where they are trying to sell the Go as a media device with Adam Levine watching in his bed or whatever. But it doesn't. It still doesn't make it clear and obvious that you can't move around. And yeah. I think the, the ads that you see on Facebook of the Go and the Quest and the Rift are all so similar that a normal person would see an Oculus logo and think all those headsets are the same. Because I, I see people commenting on ads for Quest about how the Go doesn't do this or the Rift doesn't do that. And... I don't know. And I think it's just, I think it's bad marketing. Did anybody see the ET doing a go on the commercial for Xfinity? Yeah, that was great. That was, that was awesome. The ET approves of the go. Why does <laughs> if it? If it's good it? enough for ET, yeah. it's good enough All right. for it, I will defend myself by saying that it's a headache for devs. That, uh, uh, apart from all of our things that, okay, yes, yes, it's great for media viewing experiences. Yes, there's people that love that. But consider the experience of devs who are building apps that they plan to price 20 to $40, and they're releasing it on an Oculus Rift store or a Steam store, and they've built it for two hand controllers, and they've built it for six-off movement, and they've put an extraordinary amount of effort into that experience. And then the person gets a go... And installs virtual desktop and installs the patch to make virtual desktop run Steam VR games on a go with a three DOF controller that does this. So now all of this person's mechanics are thrown out the window. Everything breaks in the app and the person has an awful experience and then goes and reviews their game on Steam and says it's Crying but, but that's not what I was talking a lot to Anton. Like you need to stop talking to Anton so much. I, I don't. <laughs> that's I don't, a very I, specific setup. That's a I feel very like every other thing he says is just it. a paraphrase of an Anton tweet. But that's oh. not what the go is for. Like I don't. I don't think it's a headache for devs because they know that's not what the go is for. I the don't. go. The go is for like super casual like experiences and things like watching movies on the go without having to spend the extra money. Media consumption. You're, yes. you're telling me, it. David, I'm not that buying a twenty dollar game. You're telling me that that some kid out there isn't going to get a go on Christmas morning, open it up, and go, "Oh, thanks, mom and dad," and then go and do exactly what I just said: hack everything together in order to try to get a good experience. Maybe you don't think a that's going to happen? Who cares? Not who cares about little it's Timmy. The exception, not the rule. <laughs> don't, let's not talk about Timmy. Timmy. Sorry. <laughs> Does anybody here on the comments want to uh, argue with Ian? Um, 
Let's see. Well, James was talking about how tracking fidelity will continue to grow. Communication will help inform the importance of tracking fidelity for ER. Like if eye tracking is immensely important, next gen, will the goalpost move? Chris Richardson said that E.T. lost his balance and fell over in the go. Um, And then James did say, if that user is that hardcore, they know what they're buying, Ian. Yeah, that's a good point. Thank you. Um, James James O'Loughlin is that that that's his yeah, name? Yeah, yeah. He he's he's my guy. That, he's uh, right edible there. memes also said if hand tracking is coming to a standalone device, why can't Oculus implement it into the Rift S? They'll put it on a standalone headset, put a Rift S. No, I yeah I agree with that. Um, but you know that also kind of opens up like the go to. If there is a go to, what is the go to going to be? Is it still going to be three off, or is it going to be three off no, with two controllers be, to have hand tracking? No controller. It's going to be go to the store and buy a quest. Oh. <laughs> it's funny to think of. It's it really obvious go. that you're a dad. <laughs> have sorry. I ever told you that? <laughs> uh, Greg's VR also said that Anton Hand, please add hands to your game, please. Oh. Uh. I mean, hand is his let's, last let's name, have, right? Let's have, a, let's have a fight about whether we should have full body tracking in VR or whether, you know, just hands are good enough. Next week. Anton's next week, like, bro. Yeah. Anton's like, nothing. I will give you nothing. <laughs> you asked, I give you nothing. So what do we want to tell the people, the folks that are watching right now? Do we say don't buy the Go? Like, we no, say I buy don't. the Go, but have reasonable expectations. I don't like that. How about... How about we say that uh, our studio manager out there, Heaney, has gotten the VR download to run on Oculus Go. So in the very sure. near future, it is likely we will have guests or people on this show that will be in a Go. And we can demonstrate for our live audience the differences. Maybe. So you're, you're saying that we should invite someone on just to make fun of the fact they're not using a more expensive headset? That's what you're actually saying? Yeah. Right? <laughs> you guys are going to force me to join in. So if go, you'd like to be so rude, guest, in my own give us a call. Hell. Rude. <laughs> but that you know, is, and because that of is that, an interesting I'm going to get in the quest or in the go, and I'm going to do this episode, next episode in the go. I'm going to charge up my go, too, just to piss off Ian. Yeah. <laughs> Enjoy your horrible experience. <laughs> Chris Richardson has purchased three goes and two quests for their family. Three goes. And how are you connecting to those family members in VR now on those goes? Is it working? Yeah, is the rooms, rooms working out for you well? Yeah, uh, yeah, but sure. But if, if someone doesn't have like another option other than a go, then go still kind of like if you so, really want to get into VR, then that's a viable option, right? We were all in Gear VRs like three years ago. Chris I, I, also said Plex. I was talking about the Plex thing the other day. Uh, he said Plex. Uh, James said his very first experience in 2015 was with a Google Cardboard, and that was a gateway. Chris also said Big Screen. James said Alt Space VR. Why do you got to hate? Long, think about how long John Carmack spent in VR getting Minecraft to work on just a free DOF headset, right? Like there is there is value to it, especially at that price point. Like yeah, Ian. Yeah, Ian is going to sit there and desecrate the name of John Carmack. Is that what he's doing right now? <laughs> he's sixed off. Is that what he's doing right now? This is my this is my sixed off dance, right? This is what I can do with my sixed off. Yeah, with your fancy money. All right, you're <laughs> fancy money. But the thing I've got to argue, all right. So like, I, I get it. I get the argument that the three doff is great for certain use cases, and I've been there where I'm like, uh, I told my family back when the Go came out, oh, the Go is coming. This is going to be the headset that you should consider, and we can play Monopoly together mom even though we're on separate parts of the country 
And then I actually wore the go for a while and I realized, you know, I, I can't give this to my mom. I, I can't. It's, I get the idea. And I know that there's some people out there that can find those use cases, but it's got to be better than this. But again, it's, it's a specific, like, you know, my mother who, you know, when I worked at esports, having her watch more than five seconds of esports was like pulling teeth. Putting a six DOF headset with two controllers on my mom would just be like a nightmare. But giving right. her a three DOF headset right. with one controller, yeah. exactly. she'd get a, she'd get that. Yeah, that's exactly. True. Yeah. Well, that's that's why the quest is going to get hand tracking, isn't it? Yeah, but the co- the quest costs four hundred dollars. That's a lot of yeah. money. Take away, take away these controllers. That's fifty dollars off. Oh my god, Ian! You can't do that though. You can't buy that. Not yet. No. All right, okay. Did I just win Ian's the argument? I don't, I'm not sure. Oh, I can't see my shrugs. Uh, <laughs> it's a fun conversation. Yeah, well, James ahead. said uh, he gets the Ian stance, but it's a nuanced problem that isn't going to go away anytime soon. It's really up to Facebook. Oh, and journalists. Mm. Oh. <laughs> oh! I don't really know what he means, but... I just saw you roll your eyes in VR. How did you roll your... How did your avatar roll its eyes? That's amazing. <laughs> Uh, Megan, what was what was your time. your gateway VR experience? Uh, I got into a Rift pretty early, actually. Okay. I think, yeah, yeah. So, so your your well wasn't poisoned. No, but I remember doing a New York Times, you know, Google Cardboard that was super fun because it was underwater. I think it was in Antarctica, and yeah. that was just spectacular, right? So yeah. Antarctica is awesome. I can use anything i just enjoy having the medium so i would still I want say, it to survive so let's figure out how to make it survive i think it's the critical <laughs> thing. i would still say like three or four of my favorite vr apps come from go like lands end by uh, mm, yeah, uh us two games is still the one of the great immersive experiences for me like i love just and every once Eclipse in a while Edge of light right that started out on <laughs> yeah. daydream yeah, exactly. That's and that's one of my all-time favorite VR games for sure. That told a great story. That was incredibly immersive. So, you know, just sort of shut up. The first VR game I ever got <laughs> actually addicted to was Smash Hit on the Gear VR. Yeah, Ian, you love Smash Hit. Oh, that's true. I'd buy Go just for Smash Hit. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, fine. Yeah. Smash, Smash Hit was right. precursor to pistol. Conversation over. Yeah. Oh, okay. here he goes, putting pistol whip into everything. Oh man. Okay. Uh, well, so, well, Kyle Smith said that uh, his first experience was a phone headset, and he didn't really give it. He didn't get it, and never gave it another try. Tried to rift at his friend's house, and within three months had a VR-ready PC and a Samsung Odyssey. Chris Richardson also said virtual boy poison the well. Also made mm, like everyone this is true. blind. This is true. I think Switch VR is you know carrying that torch pretty strongly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> hey now, that, you haven't tried the yikes. Super Smash Bros. Spectator mode in VR. Jesus was Christ, that the no. thing you gave like a F minus or whatever? Yeah, it was terrible. <laughs> Genuinely, the worst thing I've done in VR. <laughs> Which, speaking of the Switch, uh, I believe I read earlier today that, or not earlier today, like yesterday, that the Switch is now going to start shipping in China, like for the first time or something. Yeah, I wonder. Yeah, like I wonder if Switch VR will be like a big hit over there. Probably, I highly doubt it. But... Like it, it's know. just it'll be part of the Labo thing still, right? And it that depends on yeah. if Labo yeah. takes off over there. Uh, yeah, I think Switch VR's dead and buried for now, unless they suddenly do a big release for it. But... Okay, well, I think that that 
is a pretty good take, a hot take on a hot topic. Uh, before we switch over and do the interview with Ian and Megan, um, Jamie, since you've done it in previous episodes, can you give us a quick rundown of what type of fun things are going on on UploadVR.com that people might want to consume? Besides right. Ian being salty. No, yes. <laughs> uh, well, yes, I can, Kyle. I'm so glad you asked. Uh, I know that next week we have two big games launching on the PC VR headset platform, not the Oculus Go, unfortunately, supporting Ian's <laughs> Um We have Boneworks, which is a game that definitely isn't possible on the Oculus Go. Uh, that game is coming out uh, December 10th, I believe, and we are preparing to review that. I think that's the best way I can phrase that right now. That's going to be a big game. If you're interested in Half-Life Alex, you should absolutely be following that game. Uh, very, people see that very much as a precursor to, um, to Half-Life Alex in a lot of ways. So we'll see how that holds up next week, hopefully. Uh, as David said, we have um, Budget Cuts 2 also launching next week. Myself and Xena will be going to Japan next week, mainly for holiday, but we'll also be filming some Culture Show stuff over there. So look out for Culture Show Episode 3 in early January, I want to say, maybe mid-January, because, you know, I want to have Christmas too. Um, and I think, you know... No, I should I should probably go over to Berkeley sometime and do a culture show episode about the museum. Yes. yes. That is a are, are you doing Evangelion VR? Because if you are, I am flying to Japan, and I, I do not allow anyone else to do it. Um, well, I, it where has do you, to be me. Where do you do that? Because I might do that. It has to be me now. I'm not going to tell you. Is that the Shinjuku you. zone? <laughs> They have a ton of VR there. This. But I, I, I actually like thought about it yesterday, like being in an actual Ava mech as I'm sitting here in an Evangelion Kigurumi. I wish I was lying. Um, I just, I really <laughs> want to do it. And if you're gonna do it, I will fly out there. I do not care. Jamie, I'll do it. You have to tell me how good and or how terrible Dragon Ball Z VR is. I can tell you right now, it's probably pretty terrible. Don't know you. You don't say that. Okay, I'm sorry. Um, but uh, apart from that, I think uh, we've got we've, we're going to have some more quest coverage coming up. Like uh, like we've been saying, there's a lot of uh, quest VR games out this week. Uh, the climb, we'll probably have more coverage of that coming up. Maybe some more coverage of Arizona Sunshine that released today. Um, Deflap, like David said. Um, oh, I just got a new reward in Oculus Home. Fantastic. I wonder <laughs> if he needs design rewards for Oculus Home. In anyway. Um, Aside from that, I think that's it. Oh, well, there's one thing to say is one uh, this week we have been updating our best of VR games list. We've updated our our PSVR and Oculus Rift uh, lists so far to make them relevant to winter 2019. I think we have our Oculus Quest one going up soon. We're still debating how we're going to get the whole Steam VR, HTC Vive index thing done because there's a lot of fragmentation there that we want and we want to make sure we do each platform justice. Um, so definitely be looking out for those in the weeks to come. Okay, fantastic. Well, I want everybody here to stay tuned, uh, and we're going to switch up our positioning, and uh, we'll do an interview with Ian and Megan. So stay tuned. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the interview portion of the VR Download. I'm here with Megan Lee. She's the Executive Director at the Virtual Science Center. So, Megan, can you tell us what the Virtual Science Center is and how it got started? Sure. Uh, Virtual Science Center is a Silicon Valley nonprofit, and our goal is really to engage middle school and high school students in emerging technologies. 
Uh, we're really interested in getting a more diverse uh, workforce into STEM careers. And so we're creating museum exhibits about things like virtual and augmented reality to really capture that interest in that age group. Mm. And reinventing reality, that's your newest exhibit. Can you tell me about how that got started and what, what that encompasses? Sure. Um, so the exhibit, when I came to Silicon Valley in 2011, it felt like there was just this amazing science going on, right? We had big data, we had VR about to take off. People were just self-driving cars were starting to, to hit the roads. But it felt like there wasn't a good vehicle for the public to interact with it. There wasn't enough outreach. We didn't know, you know, how would we learn about it, uh, all these new technologies. And so we developed Virtual Science Center to sort of bring that out. And not just in Silicon Valley, but by developing these uh, experiences that then that would travel uh, around the U.S. and Canada or else out in the world so that people could really learn about emerging tech, things that are happening right now. Mm, can you uh, uh, and tell me about what, what these exhibits? Yeah, I want to sure. hear about these exhibits. They look sure. so cool. And hopefully we've got some photos that the viewers out there can see. Sure. So Reinventing Reality is our first show. It's all about how virtual and augmented reality work. So there's a lot uh, in the exhibit, not just for people to try full body VR, but to experiment with what makes it work. So we have, an, for example, an exhibit that's on inside out tracking. And in that, you know, you um, lift a headset up to your face and you don't put it all the way on, but you just put, lift it up to your face. It's got a, a little carrier. And then you um, point it down at the floor and you point it at the tabletop and a grid pops up and then it drops you into the VR world. So it talks about how the headset is using positioning, uh, position tracking. Um, earlier we were talking about the Oculus Go versus the Rift or full body uh, VR. And we have an exhibit uh, on translational and rotational ex um, tracking where you can turn on and off different sensors. So you can learn about what the difference is between those two. That's fantastic. It sounds amazing. And I can't, what David was really excited about, I'm really excited about. This sounds like an incredible exhibit because we spend so much of our time trying to break down uh, these technologies for people in ways that are easily understood while not overcomplicating things. And when we talk about VR, a lot of these terms are there's scientific terms, and then there's the terms that actually make it through the marketing departments at companies. And there's sometimes a gap there. And is there is that something you've encountered, is trying to break these the, the science down? Does that mean stripping away some of the consumer technology? Um, well, definitely stripping it away in that we break it apart. Um, but what we've been fortunate to do is, you know, we're looking at this from an inquiry-based learning experience. So it's this opportunity to sort of experiment with things. So yes, we did isolate the different sensors, um, that, but we didn't remove any of them. Um, mm. We did develop an educational guide that will be available on our website for people to sort of, uh, that has a full glossary that explains some of the VR terms that you may or may not be familiar with. But really the show is designed around a sixth grade level. And so it's not made to be um, overly complicated. Um, the technology is, you know, it's, it's pretty exciting stuff. We find that the kids are interacting with things for a long period of time. They're really interested. The younger kids just kind of love holding up the headset and just looking around at the world around them. Um, but just taking things like 
digital models. So the, in the exhibit, we have a physical model of some voxel animals, and then we also have a digital model. And in the physical model, you can walk and you can draw the model from this direction, from this position and this position and that position. And that just shows you that you're seeing things from a different perspective. But then uh, we also have a VR headset where you can uh, see a digital model and then you slide the headset along the rail and you see uh, how the uh, perspective changes as you move. Interesting. So these are ways that we are really trying to make it really tangible, like really understandable to visitors. So before I forget, uh, what are there, does, does it cost something for people to attend and what is the availability like? So tell us where this is and how people sure. can attend. Sure. Well, right now the exhibit is at Lawrence Hall of Science in Berkeley, California, at the top, top, top of the hill at UC Berkeley. Um, the full installation will be ready December 16th. Um, and there is a fee to get into the exhibit and uh, into the museum. Um, and you can just buy tickets there and it's available. I mean, um, I was there, it was very busy last weekend during Thanksgiving rush, of course. Um, uh, but it's a great science museum and there's things for everybody. Um, and then the exhibit will start traveling. It'll go to 15 cities in the next five years. It moves every three months. So in, next summer we expect it to be in a new location and then for the fall, so um, you can keep an eye on our website and it will have the locations of the different venues as they book. Mm. One of the questions I love asking, and uh, you said you got into a rift pretty early in the, in the earlier portion, but what was your first VR experience and what did you think of the technology at the time? And um, has anything changed in your sort of perception of what this technology is capable of over time? So my first experience was the toy box. Um, I had a, an early Oculus demo uh, of the toy box. And I just remember being in headset and having someone talking to me in VR and handing me things and just not realizing at all that that person wasn't in the space with me. It was just so mind-blowing. I just was so impressed. Um, and as far as things changing, I think definitely things have gotten better. I think um, our, the, I don't know what you call it, the physics, the dynamics of how we move in VR, how we um, use our hands in VR. Actually, in the beginning, there weren't hands, right? Um, I think that, that those things are all getting a lot better. I would really like to see more experiences that are appealing to women. I feel like the... The VR community doesn't have enough, and, and that is part of what we're doing with the exhibit, is to really, we know that to engage girls in science, we need to have things that are really appealing to them. And so I'm hoping that by introducing more VR careers, AR careers, and seeing people um, having having a medium that's really interesting to them will promote more people, more women in, in VR. Yeah, I wanted to understand. There, there's some principles behind the exhibits that you built that that sort of informed the the design of them. Could you explain what those principles were? Sure. So, reinventing reality is one of the first traveling exhibits to implement the exhibit design for girls engagement um, guidelines that were produced by the Exploratorium in 2016. And you know, they studied you know over 85, maybe 200 exhibits. Um, and found that just certain attributes made the exhibits more appealing to girls. And so we took that um, information and we applied it. So when you come to the exhibit, you'll notice that there's, first of all, that it's just really beautiful. It's um, It has warm woods and glowing colors and it's super fun. 
um, it's the experiences are developed with um, a lot of illustrations and um, instead of just text, we have a lot of images of people. There are um, opportunities for more than like three or more people to work together on an exhibit or to at least stand around and experience them. We made multiple stations so that um, we, you don't have to fight over getting a spot um, in the exhibit. You can preview things. These are all just design attributes. Um, there's um, open-endedness seems to be really important for engaging girls. So there's not a right or wrong answer to most of our exhibits. There's just It's just exploring and um, learning at your own pace. And yeah. Um, are there any age limitations? Is there Do you stop parents from putting any age groups into these exhibits? Or is there any guidance you give parents? We do. As people walk into the gallery, we absolutely talk to them about um, if, especially if this is their first time in VR, um, how to, um, what to look for and how to share the experience with their kids. Um, we at Lawrence Hall are using um, an age group of seven and up. So we don't mm -hmm. put anyone under seven in headset. Um, but, and we can only do that with their parents and um, adults supervising them. Mm -hmm. um, the... The whole idea of making sure that this technology is accessible to a wide range of people, um, doesn't keep certain uh, groups out, is is definitely a huge a, a huge undertaking. And I guess I'm wondering where do you see uh, what you're doing with reinventing reality in in sort of fixing that. I mean, that I think of the name that you've got there, reinventing reality. Uh, is it part of a of a bigger process in order to make uh, technology more accessible to more people? And I guess for the viewers out there, what do you see as their what can they do to help make this a a, a more accessible technology? That's a good question. I mean, I think first of all, just getting the technology out for people to see it is is a big piece of it, right? I mean, there are just so many people, 60% of visitors who come to the museum have never been in VR before. So by taking this exhibit out, we expect to, you know, have 3 million people in VR by the end of the tour to have shown that wow. to that many people um, VR at the end. Um, so that's, you know, making it accessible. We also created the exhibit. It's bilingual. So it's both in English and in Spanish while it travels in the U.S. And we feel like that is reaching out to the community, the Spanish-speaking community, which is really underrepresented in STEM careers. Um, mm. And, uh, yeah. Uh, one thing is, uh, I saw, how is the Virtual Science Center funded and how did it uh, sort of, how is it backed? I, I think I saw Brendan Ereve is, is on the board. I, I'm curious just how it came together. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, there was, when I, when I came to Silicon Valley and noticed this this amazing technology happening and yet no way to get it to the public, um, shortly thereafter, I met up with Brendan Ereeb, who I had known um, previously from working with him uh, many years ago. And we just talked about, like, how can we establish um, a conduit? How can we connect the tech community with informal science learning to the public and what can we do? And, and he was, you know, very generous and also just very interested. You know, he had some career, some experiences 
as a young person where, you know, he saw his first plasma screen at a museum. Um, mm. And just those kind of things that just really make an impact on you. Uh, and so he wanted to contribute and be able to find ways to reach out. So uh, most of the, the exhibit, you know, we're a nonprofit. And so the exhibit is funded by um, mostly by Brendan. And we also had some donations from um, Michael Antonov, who also is a founder of, of Oculus. Is there um, a way other people can donate? Uh, is there a recommended avenue? Absolutely. So our website, virtualsciencecenter.org, is, um, has a donation spot on it. Um, but we would love to just hear from people. And um, we're looking for sponsorships to be able to bring it to different cities. So if we know, you know, if people know um, if that's an avenue that people want to pursue, that would be great, too. And it's you can a, just reach out to us through our website, too. Uh, the the thing about getting kids early is is so critical. And I think of my own sort of upbringing and how I got hooked on on this medium. And it starts with like watching uh, watching TV in many ways. Like I, I see these amazing things on TV and uh, or even, you know, it can start with the imagination in a book where uh, you read something, but then there's a gap there where if you're inspired by watching some kind of media in your house, you've got to make a connection to something tangible. And I think of those visits to places like science centers where you really get to go hands-on as being so critical. And um, there really hasn't been anything for VR and AR before this exhibit, has there? I, I don't think I've, I've seen anything or heard of anything like this. No, right. So there's quite a few museums that are bringing VR in and they um, give people a demo, perhaps. But we are the only ones that explain how it works. And so that's mm -hmm. what we're so excited about. And I, and I think you're right that being able to experience the technology, but then being able to sort of break it apart just makes it just much more manageable. And, mm -hmm. and then to see the careers of people using VR. So we have eight STEM professionals that we um, cover that are using VR for medical training or for designing spaceships. Um, there's a lot of opportunity to really um, excite people about how VR is made and then just kind of open up their, their, their ideas to what they could possibly do in this new medium. It's, it's so fantastic. I mean, we spent so much of our previous conversation talking about the difference between 3DOF and 6DOF and whether <laughs> there's benefit yeah. there. But I really can't think of a better way of, of introducing people to VR than to show them how it works. And then they can go out in an informed way and figure out what's best for them in the market. And that's, that's an amazing opportunity that it seems like reinventing reality is going to create for people. Um, yeah, are you able to say, sorry, go ahead. No, we're just super excited about it. Uh, are you able to say where the exhibit's going to go next or are you keeping that under wraps for now? Um, no, we don't have the, we haven't decided where it's landing yet next, okay. but we'll, we'll announce it on our website when we have it ready. It's actually at Lawrence Hall in Berkeley all the way till April. So the first installation is a little bit longer than others because you're kind of burning in all the software, getting the exhibit up and running, learning all of the operations of a new show like this. I mean, it's big. It's 5,000 square feet. So it has, you know, 12 VR pods and 15 hands-on science interactives. So it's a pretty big endeavor. Um, and it, 
it looks amazing at Lawrence Hall. I, can, I really have to recommend everyone go see it because it's super fun. And and really, you you have a lot of VR enthusiasts, I'm sure. So um, it's we had a, a VR professional from San Francisco stop by this weekend, and he was so delighted with the exhibit. He said, you know, I've been trying to tell my family what I do, but no one understands what it is. And it's, so he was so, he, he really appreciated having um, the space to explain that to them. Yeah, that's, I mean, I, I can imagine there's going to be a, a steady mix of people that are just being introduced to VR uh, by someone in their family member, you know, someone in their family bringing them to this exhibit to really break it down because I, I struggle. It's a daily struggle for me uh, with, with kids of my own that I, I want to break this down in terms that inspire them to want to know how it works and, and, and to try to break it down. And that's how, that's how I hear so many developers got into game design is following a path that begins with, uh, I really enjoyed this, but I wanted to do something else. And the only way to do that is to start stripping away the layers and go deeper and deeper and deeper into uh, the actual functionality and to figuring out how to do computer vision. I mean, like there's a, there's a long path there to actually doing some of the core things that make these things possible. But uh, you can just have an experience here where you put on a headset and put controllers in your hands and the technology disappears. So it's so easy to kind of forget that there is 25 years plus of refinement to science and technology that make this magic possible. And there's a gap afterwards of just making sure that people can, can find the tools they need to build these things themselves and to take it to the next level. And it seems like this is going to be a, a game changer almost uh, in terms of getting some of these ideas more accessible to more people. So I, I can't wait to see the response after you have more, more people go through. Um, yeah. Thank you so much for joining us today. Is there Absolutely. anything else you want to share about the, the, the exhibit or anything I haven't asked? Uh, no, I think, you know, this exhibit is more focused on virtual reality, but we are planning some on, um, that include a lot of augmented reality. So we'll see as a, as the exhibit, you know, we think of this as our collection. This is a collection of experiences that we want to share with the world. Um, and so we'll just be adding to the collection and finding the collection as it goes. So really looking forward to, to sharing that with people. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you so much for tuning into the VR download. Check with us next week and all the weeks after, uploadvr.com, and you can find the VR download on all podcast platforms. Thank you so much. Thank you.